And this is the audio podcast. It's episode 91, a random collection of stuff. Woohoo! I'm Scott. This week I'm joined, as always, by... Samuel Freeman, hello. And Adam to the Yanch. Hua! To the Yanch. That's a great show title this week, by the way, Scott. That's like really... A a collection of random stuff. Well, that was fantastic. (laughs) Isn't that every show? Yeah, but this show is actually named a collection of random stuff, which makes it extra special. Oh. Maybe. Or extra random. Or extra random. Don't forget, uh, Audio Podcast is live every week at some point through the week, usually. Um, The easiest way to find us, though, is either via RSS or iTunes, or you can subscribe to us on YouTube as well. And And then it will appear as if by magic. If you're uh, if you're an RSS user and you use Google Reader, oh no, you won't be able to use that anymore. So remember, you have to use another service. I know that's not an audio announcement, but you know I think it's affected certainly affected me, and I'm pretty sure it's affected you, Scott. And I don't know if Sam, if you used Google Reader, um, I did, but I I honest I kind of stopped checking it. Everything I had on my RSS, I just started ignoring because I just felt uh, well, so behind. You can log into it now, and it won't be there at all. So you haven't lost anything. Except all the bookmarks I made via it, I suppose. (laughs) I don't know if those are saved somewhere else. but You can still get them back into July the 15th. I think it is. So it may not be audio-related, but it certainly helped me. Thank you, Adam. That's all right. But maybe we should get back onto an audio agenda at this point. I think we should get into the audio news. We should. And one last thing to remind people is that the show notes are available, as always, online this week. They're at theaudiopodcast.co.uk slash show slash 91. And the first item of news is about McDSP. Mmm, tasty. Mmm, McDSP. So McDSP have announced a AAX format plugins, which will <laughs> support to Pro Tools 11. How many A's did you say there, Scott? AAX, I think. It's double A X. Advanced A-X. Audio X. A X. Um it only works on a Mac. You need it only works on a Mac Pro Tools hosted system. And you need an iLock too, but it is a free upgrade from so the previous current version five. So that's decent. That's decent. The Windows sixty four bit version is coming soon, apparently. Yeah. And support for all the Pro Tools ten versions is continuing still. It's, nice it's quite interesting, isn't it? I don't know. We talked about it last week, obviously, in real depth. But it does seem to me that the Pro Tools world is about to head into this kind of dual, dual kind of camp in the way that you know we had OS X and OS 9 running side by side for a while. Because it, it definitely seems that Avid are quite happy for Pro Tools 10 and Pro Tools 11 to exist side by side. And well, they have to. I mean, well, consider, considering the, the lifespan of the hardware... If someone bought a Pro Tools 10 system in the last two or three years, they're not going to want to upgrade now, are they? So they'll have to run it for at least, well, you'd hope another five years. Especially seeing as you can't realistically sell your own Pro Tools 10 system. Well, the system you can, but the software, yeah, you could, but it'd be complicated. Let's not go back there, but... No, that, we covered that last in last week's episode when we spoke to Frank, the sound, the, the recordist, and, uh, and his woes which were slightly related to that. But anyway, yeah. Um, it's good to have the... To 
It, well, it is, it is. But it's good, it's good to have Pro Tools 10 and 11 running at the moment. I imagine that the plugin developers will probably like slow down their development of, um, what are they called, TDM plugins? Because that will that market will start to stop, really, won't it? Oh, definitely. I'm saying what we're seeing right now is always that classic kind of people make a really big deal about the fact they've taken something that previously existed in one format and is now available in a new format. And quite often the the kind of raw underpinnings of what's going on is generally it's generally a very little task, which is why you can see you know why we see it so quickly happen because I mean it's they're published standards that you can go and read, and the D the actual audio DSP processing side of it doesn't really generally need a modification. It's just the kind of wrappers. The kind of wrapper and linkage in and out, isn't it? Mm. Which requires. Which requires well, that's why I even wondered why there's such thing as um, like an AU plugin. Why did why does that exist when VST existed already? I know Apple didn't have control over the VST plugin, but um, the standard. But it's not like it's vastly different. It is true, though, that the you always get different advantages with the different kind of plugin architectures, don't you? In the different plug-in versions. So the, I think while well, there was historically a kind of, we're going to make one that doesn't work with your door, so no, 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 no. But that doesn't seem to be the motivator, I don't think, so much now. It's They, they definitely seem to bring them out for new functionality, don't they? Because these AAX ones are, you know, 64-bit version, 64-bit plugins, aren't they? And they're designed to work identically with native and accelerated hard, hardware, so. Yeah, that, that's really tied in very deeply to the avid coding systems and the Pro Tools kind of world, isn't it? But you'd think that VST3 is is advanced enough that it, it knocks AU plugins out of the water. Anyway, I mean, that's that's a conversation for another day, for another audio podcast, and I think we should move on to the next thing. Okay. Cool. But I think it's also plugin related. Not explicitly. It's an iPad app, I think. If we go into the Nord Beat, Nord Beat Two. No, no, I was going to a different one. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a different screen up to you. So yeah, let's do the Everybody Nord Beat. Everybody hit refresh on the show notes. And okay. so, um, so that there, there we go. We, we've actually missed one already. So I'm just going to quickly jump, jump back up to it. Uh, Native Instruments are running a promotion. If you buy Machine or Machine Micro, then you can choose some free expansion packs, and also. The Nord Beat 2 has been announced, which is an iOS app, <laughs> Sam. <clears throat> um, yes, it is. It's available for your iPad, and it is a MIDI sequencer, essentially. It seems to have six tracks on velocity-sensitive pad modes, and you can copy and paste patterns and stuff like that. But yeah, they say it would be the perfect companion for your Nord drum machine, but I think it will work with any MIDI gear. Yep. It will work with any MIDI input. You need a, an iPad with iOS 5.1 and then obviously a, a core MIDI compatible interface as well. That's so this is yeah, th this is the update. Um, Nordbeat 2 is the update to Nordbeat um, and adds in the additional track support and that's designed to designed so it's possible to work with Norddrum 2 now as well, integrated in there. So that's why they boosted the track count and brought in a couple of new features, MIDI clock sync, the pad mode and Apparently, there's been a lot of work done on the setup as well because it, while it auto sets up its own kind of Nord instruments inside itself, it, as you said, Sam, it can work with any sort of MIDI, any sort of MIDI instrument you can direct to it. And they've done a lot of work at making that setup as simple and easy as it 
as you'd really like it to be. So I think that's kind of cool. We we talk about whether we whether we really want to do these things with FiOS devices all the time, don't we? But I, again, it's I just I can understand it, it's cool. Like you can you know being able to like tap in a rhythm or do something like that. You know I can see that being cool. And you know obviously faders are really great, but I'm not sure. I I just I I I'm just not convinced. I have to learn about these things yet. But. Yeah, but we we can tread over old ground. I still think it's as a a method of creating material. It's a, it's an amazing thing, but as a as a way of finishing a track and making something, you know, of, of quality enough to release. Mm, not so sure. Mm. Mm. But you have the Nord beat too there to uh, to add to your arsenal of instruments and. I can't believe it. That's my that's my phone. I will um, I will mute myself. He's muted. He's gone. There we go. He's gone. <laughs> Look, I think that's the second time somebody's taken a call during the middle of a show, but that's fine. I'm switching my phone gone. off as we speak. Okay. Um, <laughs> just in case. Just in case. So that's the Nord Beat Two available out of the i yeah out of the App Store. Shall we go on? Yes. Some new toys as well. So, yeah. um, this is more kind of aesthetically looks the same, except it's in hardware. You've got little lights that glow. Um, Behringer, the first one is a DJ thing. What's it called? It's just DJ controllers. CD CMD micro, not to be confused with CDM. CMD micro. Um, an an ultra portable DJ micro DJ MIDI controller. So it, it's just designed to be small. It, it's just a small kind of control surface. It, it has a touch-sensitive platters, like spinning, you know, DJ disc platters in there as well, and kind of you know volume pitch faders. So all those kind of things, USB and MIDI on the back of it. It's nice that MIDI lives on, isn't it? It just lives forever, MIDI. It's incredible. <laughs> um, I mean, and and it comes with compatible libraries for both PC, Mac, and iOS. So you can you know plug it into the door of your choice and. All that kind of work's already been done. Done there. I do. You, do you remember when control surfaces were all the rage? Like a, you know, maybe a decade ago. Do you remember those days? And Aren't they be... still all the rage? No, not all the rage, but you know, <laughs> they're they're really useful. Oh no, and and yes, they they definitely are. It just strikes me that it's. I remember seeing this and thinking, I'm, is is this a is this actually a new thing? And then I was like. I remembered it being announced, but that was earlier this year, and the release is, like, its availability is, like, from today onwards sort of thing. But I remember just being kind of shocked that Behringer hadn't made this 10 years ago, I think is the... It's, it's a lot more compact than, like, similar functionality-type things would used to be modelled on the same sort of form factor as the old phono-mixing things, like, see traditional DJ stuff, so it was all set out the same kind of dimensions. And then you had a whole spat of um, DJ controllers that had a platter on the top, a little turntable that was about the same size as a CD, for example. Yeah. Whereas these things, the little turny bits are much smaller and the whole thing is much more... It's probably... I haven't got the dimensions here, but it looks like it's about the same width as a laptop kind of thing, so it's kind of like fitting into the same category as those... Um, Korg Nano type things, those Korg Micro series, but yeah. but but it looks a bit more robust, like than those. Yeah. No, no, that's that's fair enough. That's fair enough. 
Hey, another another new item out from Behringer uh, that that came through on the on the feed today from Behringer is the Firepower FCA six ten, which has Firewire on it. Imagine. Oh yeah. wow! How about that? You see, Firewire is another thing that's like MIDI. I really like Firewire. Me too. But the difference between Firewire and MIDI is that one of them has lasted decades and shows no sign of ending, whereas one of them's almost lasted a decade and is definitely dying. Oh, it's lasted more than a decade, Scott. Firewire's but, been around since easily the late 90s. Yeah, that's true, I guess. I'm sorry, that's overly harsh of me there. I, that, that jumped out at me, though, the fact that you would... Because it's not even just like, you know... Obviously, one presumes the name Firepower comes from the fact that it has a Firewire interface. Like, you presume from there. But it just seemed kind of funny that it was there. But it's actually a sound card um, offering 24-bit, 96 kilohertz support on it, which is pretty cool. It has two of the Midas design preamps. I don't know if you've been noticing this, but they're very careful to say they're Midas design preamps, as if they're not Midas preamps, they're Midas designed preamps. But made made by Behringer, but then Behringer own Midas. Don't Midas. They? Oh, oh so. no. Well, yeah, that, that, yeah. That's the point I'm making. Is that <laughs> I've noticed this this language has definitely become established here. Six inputs, ten outputs, MIDI I/O, um, SPDIF I/O as well. Uh, dual headphone outputs, which can be assigned independent mixes and volumes, volume levels on them as well. And comes with drivers for OSX, XP, and higher. There you go. Imagine rolling out a device which had Windows XP support today. That is just a bit... <laughs> Talk about things that live on and on. I'm going to say, that's pretty crazy. I'm sure they were trying to get rid of that at some point, but obviously, obviously they haven't succeeded yet. There you go. Any of you guys in the market for a new sound card? Do you think this one would be the one that would be of interest to you? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, Adam, you thought about that a long time. Well, how much is it? How much is it? I, I don't know. Actually. I didn't. I didn't look. Because that'll be the that'll be the clincher, is how much it costs. It's, it'll probably be a very good piece of kit. I I just don't need. I I personally don't need that. Maybe I I don't know. No, I definitely don't need it. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't in position to say whether you needed it or not, Adam. So I just had to. <laughs> Does it go uh, yeah, well, you can trust me on this uh, on this fact. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, so anyway, you can go and buy a Behringer Firepower FCA610 if you like. Um, there are plenty of other audio interfaces. Do Behringer have Behringer made audio interfaces audio interfaces before? I think so. Yes, no, I'll go further. They they have for quite a long time, but they've generally been fairly basic, fairly fairly budget kind of stuff, haven't they? Yeah, I was just wondering because you know we always we always go back to Motu and how Motu Motu's driver support is pretty much legendary, and we'll make a mention of that every time they update the driver, their drivers, and still support something that's fifteen years old and. Uh, you know, Moto is a safe bet. I think uh, I think we all kind of know that. But uh, anyway, I, I think the thing to bear in mind, though, isn't it? And when, when I said Midas designed, I was probably alluding to a little bit is that so much of this kind of hardware nowadays is actually a collection of off-the-shelf parts, actually, in terms of assembly, because you can, you know, you can buy a preamp from somebody, you can buy a, an A to D from somebody else, and put them together in a box, and you're 
you know what I mean that's that's you kind of underway in that sort of stuff and I think that's increasingly what kind of happens with various kind of people with with, with various things here so you know what I mean that's a bit of me is always kind of thinking it might be fun to start taking apart you know things just to have a look inside them and try and work out what the actual component tree is in them but you know obviously that's not actually something I'm ever going to do I might put in a splinter next week there was a um, I came across with the Griffin iMic little cheap USB interface it's got microphone line level in it there's was having some troubles with a certain type of microphone going into it as in it didn't work and so I started looking around and somebody had done exactly what you said and taken it all apart and because it doesn't give the bias voltage which is required for some microphones I'll, I'll put it in a splinter for next week it's an interesting article he ended up taking the whole thing apart and adding bits onto it into a new box because he, he thought that the whole thing was grossly under engineered but yeah, nice. and, and had a spare afternoon yeah. <laughs> T- talking about things being under or over engineered or engineered in general uh, Avid... <laughs> oh, great. Brilliant. Avid have, have uh, updated uh, the supported systems for Pro Tools HD11 and the 2012 onwards i7 Mac Mini with 8GB of RAM using the Magma Express Box 3 has been included. So that is the, uh, you know, using Thunderbolt to host an, Express, host an external box and loading PCI cards into it. So that is actually a supported, supported option. No. Oh, there you go. And uh, also, talking about things that are engineered in general, uh, there's a new competitor, open source competitor, to Apple's AirPlay standard, which is called Ooh. Magic Play, and it has been announced. Yeah. That's, that's all. This that's is, all. yeah, I'm, I'm learning about it for the very first time, just this moment. So, Mag- Magic Play is built as a. As... It it is designed as an op- it is designed as the open source version of what was AirTunes and became known as AirPlay, and I actually I, I don't know if I mentioned on the show, but a couple of weeks ago I actually turned a Raspberry Pi into an AirPlay receiver, so that that was actually a project I just kind of finished off. It's it's quite a doable thing. It was I put a blog entry up for people who are interested in that, or at least I think I intended to. I don't know if I actually did or not, but um, there that's were a, a Raspberry Pi there. Look. Oh, very nice. If if you've if you've got the video feed, if you're watching on YouTube, I'm holding up a Raspberry Pi to my camera. Awesome. <laughs> and it's a nice little Perspex little mounting box. I have a Raspberry Pi um, box, like actual shipping case. <laughs> that uh, happens to be on my desk. Oh, what what's Sam gonna show us? I'm nothing. I could tell you about a Raspberry Pi, but it's not the same, so I'll just leave it. <laughs> 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 but the thing that I noticed is that there is a lot of there is a lot of unnecessary encryption built into AirPlay, and the only purpose it seems to serve is to make it difficult oh, for yeah. other people to kind of work with it, but also legally difficult as well. Because I think there's there was a significant amount of reverse engineering went into the went into the library that I made use of to actually get Air, to actually get it to work with the Raspberry Pi. Well, that's, that's the thing is Apple want Apple want third parties to pay them licensing fees, so it's got to be hard enough for that. And if it's too hard, they won't bother. But if it's hard enough and maybe just a little harder, then it might be worth the license fee. So Ma- Magic Play is designed to be it is designed as a replacement. So the idea is that uh, manufacturers will be able to will be able to embed the code into their own into their own devices. So we'll see things like cheap 
cheap wireless speakers will appear. They'll work over kind of Ethernet wireless. It also struck me that this could be the kind of thing that's going to see all of the sort of proprietary and really kind of heavily restricted kind of um, Ethernet audio protocols that are in existence. This is the kind of thing that could become a competitor to that, to that sort of space as well eventually, I think, because an open source, an open source standard of doing it, you know, is very quickly people can kind of rally around it. And I think that might gather a lot of support and hence do quite well. And of course, Apple use ALAC, their, their own lossless conversion algorithm, which they, they open sourced that a few months ago, didn't they? Yeah. yeah. Um, or made it license free or something. Um, they use that in the transmission. I wonder if Magic Play uses Flack. I would imagine so. If they go, the, if they go in the same way, they would use Flack as the uh, method of moving the audio between nodes. I, but I, I, have to, I haven't looked at the standard, so I'm, I, I'm, I have to confess yes. that I haven't, I haven't looked at its implementation in any sort of real, in in any sort of real detail. In terms, in terms of that, but it definitely, you know, it was released to much fanfare. They, it looked really smart in that they released, they've released some very clear kind of guides and instructions. So things like there are, there's a couple of very easy to follow tutorials for Raspberry Pi, so you can immediately get your Raspberry Pi running with this kind of thing. They released the kind of elements of the code required for Android devices, so you can get your phone, you know, you can get your Android phone to stream to your Raspberry Pi, and that that's kind of already in place. So. I thought that was a cool, you know, they've done a really good job of kind of releasing at the, a similar sort of level to where, you know, to what AirPlay actually offers right now in an Apple ecosystem. And obviously with the advantage that as it's open source, there's a lot more opportunity for more manufacturers to get involved doing different things. So I think that's kind of cool. I like it. Nice. <laughs> he says, nice, he says. Also, well, well, we should not. move on then. We, we should move on. If we've made it to the end of the news, I, I don't know if this is... I have to be honest, I don't think our news coverage was particularly thorough this week because we, as people may or may not have noticed, we've been having some website difficulties over the weekend and I, my time was spent trying to sort that problem out. So um, that was very sad. Um, yeah. But it's plunder time and that's quite exciting. It's plunder time. <laughs> We have plenty of plunder this week. So this this strikes me as one that Adam would probably love, but the Museum of Imaginary Musical Instruments has been established. I see. <laughs> there we go. We, we propose a seventh category. They, they talk about why it's been established. And phones for imaginary musical instruments. Existing as diagrams, drawings, or written descriptions, these devices never produce a sound. Oh, that that's sad. That's that's a very, that's a tale of woe, really, isn't it? A, a musical instrument that has never existed and can't make sound. But you can imagine what it sounds like, and that might even be better than actually experiencing what it would really sound like if it were actually made. The cat well, piano is in there. There's, there's there's a picture of a cat piano. Don't is that <laughs> the cat? The cat, piano. the cat piano caught my eye scrolling through there. Meow, 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 any, meow. any idea when, when that was invented? Any, or do you want to guess? I put it up here. Oh, wowzers. Oh, can I so guess? Can guess? Yeah, what year? 1600. No, no, I think it's going to be 1880. 1883. Oh, there we go. Oh. 
Oh, that a little, a little bit of a game for our listeners. So basically, it's basically a, like a bunch of cats, and obviously a hammer hits their tail or something, and they go meow. But how do you tune it? By Maybe the cats. yeah, you 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 test out the cats first, and then arrange them accordingly. No, it's it's too unreliable. You know, I think most of the uh, '60s uh, experimental synthesizers would have been more reliable than that. This is the eighteen thirty, the eighteen eighties here. So I mean, maybe they were more tolerant to fluctuation in tuning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> I guess it's basically it's the nineteenth century equivalent to um, to cat videos on YouTube, isn't it? Like, it never actually was made. That's the point. It's an imaginary instrument, but people can look at the illustration of it and imagine it and laugh at the at the cats going wow. <laughs> and while I while I agree that the tuning would be a difficulty, I think one of the big concerns you would probably have would be the you know the fluctuations in the amplitude, and I think compression would be an important solution to that problem. <laughs> <laughs> really? Now, in in which software environment would you create this compressor, Scott? Well, it's funny that you asked me that, Adam. But sound, uh, designing sound have a detailed tutorial about how to build a compressor in pure data. Really. Wow! Wow! <laughs> yes, it is indeed the case. How slick was that? Yeah. Um. So sometimes I'm not sure whether to include these things or not. You know, because but I came to the conclusion <laughs> this is one that's worth having because obviously it is audio related, which is a good starter for us. But second, and, and we're going to talk about PD. That's the other thing. Well, we 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 don't tend to do we, but you know. But the, the thing that was really interesting is it's not just a tutorial of get this and plug it into this and plug it into this and you'll have something. It actually talks over the inner workings, the kind of the kind of expectations you might have for it, the kind of ranges you might want to work with. And then it kind of explains how you can build that using the blocks, using kind of, you know, objects within PD to put them together like that. So I thought it was actually quite an interesting sort of tutorial in terms of this is what's actually going on inside a compressor rather than just being a how to build a compressor really quickly in PD, which quite often those things tend to be. So, that's it. And you might as well just download the, that person's code if you're just going to want to build it yourself quickly. Yeah. You might as well just download their code. Or even just for having, it, just as an interesting read to have remind yourself or to learn what's exactly what's going on with the stages, you know, so that when you're reaching for knobs, you've got a much better idea of what's happening to the signal according to those. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's cool. It's it's true that we can quite often forget things, and that's why it's important for us to remember our history. Well, yep, and a hundred years after the cat piano, exactly a hundred years after the cat piano was invented, and thirty years ago this year, um, everyone's favourite interface standard MIDI was invented. Hurrah! Yeah. <laughs> and remember, remember, MIDI started originally as a way of connecting keyboards together, so you could play. Uh, one keyboard from another and maybe they, they didn't really think it was going to be the hub of the computer music studio when it was first created that's, that's very true because it was created by like Roland and the keyboard manufacturers in the early 80s yeah mm. it was well it was indeed. originally it was just a collaboration between two wasn't it and it eventually expanded into into you know into everybody becoming involved in it and there's a couple of really clever engineering tricks that happened which made it really really easy to work with 
and really simple to work with as well, which I think really is the real lesson I would say is, you know, for people who design protocols, that's the really key thing about MIDI is the way it was built, made it easy to work with, which I think was really clever. Is it? There you go. It, it is. <laughs> yeah. Sequential. Sequential Circuits was the name of, it was of the other company. Yeah. It was Roland in collaboration with Sequential Circuits. Oh, yeah, Circuits. Circuits. Of course. Of course, Scott, you're, you're speaking to the converted, both Sam and me. Me and Sam. Uh, Sam we, and I? No, that was I. That should be I that time. Sam, if you're going to listen. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. Probably Adam, right. Sam and I. Um, we're, we're basically MIDI fans. Fans of MIDI, it's great. It is. Yep. Awesome. Yep. So there, go. You go. there you go. There, there we go. There we go. So, but there is actually a YouTube video which is the history of MIDI, isn't there, Sam? That's actually there like, is. Yeah. yeah. And the fact like, that they won a Grammy, like that was what caught my eye, was that they'd <laughs> they'd been awarded a Grammy. Who knew? Yep. It's awesome. Fantastic. <laughs> well, with that shocking realization. We've made it to the end of the plunder. Having already made it to the end of the news, that means we've made it to the end of this week's show. Wow. (laughs) So so we'll be back next week. Uh, This has been episode 91 of the audio podcast, which I believe we are referring to as some random news. Something like that. I don't know. Some random news. A random bunch of recorded articles. on the third of July, twenty thirteen. Um, I've been Scott Hewitt. I'm Samuel Freeman. And I am, and will continue to be, Adam Yanch. Thank Yay. you for listening. Bye, everybody. Bye.